Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Two Stewards Show. Mark and I have introduced ourselves in episode two and three, and now we're diving into why exactly real estate makes for a good investment. And we're trying to compare real estate to other asset classes that um, you might be able to invest in. And the first two reasons we've chosen to uh, talk about on this episode is leverage and rental income or cash flow. So Mark and I will jump into it, and uh, let's get to it to another episode of the two stewards show my name is mark and my name is brent and today we're going to be talking about real estate so brent why do you love real estate <laughs> do i love real estate the love of real estate is the root of all <laughs> kinds of evil um <clears throat> well let's maybe say why okay why do i love real estate well um we pick real estate as a tool for investing and um, when you're investing, you're trying to build wealth, you're trying to grow wealth over time. Um, and so my love or passion for real estate really comes out of what it can do over the long term for building wealth. And that's, you know, for myself, for my family, for my community, um, and ultimately, you know, for other people as well, who might be listening to this or, um, can learn something and do it for their own life. Right. So the power of real estate, um, allows you to kind of achieve, um, you know, ends beyond just, um, financial. So, uh, building it like a stable, um, real estate portfolio gives you like, yeah, a little bit of financial security and allows you to kind of, um, generate passive income. And I think this is kind of what you're going into is why real estate specifically as an mm -hmm. investment asset class, as opposed to maybe that's what your question was all about. Um, as opposed to other real, uh, investments, like, you know, why don't I start a business? Why don't I, um, invest in stocks or bonds or Buy Tesla? Yeah. Well, Hey, if you bought <laughs> Tesla a while back, uh, when was it the start of COVID? Yeah. That really took off. Um, but that's so risky. Um, real estate to me is more stable. Um, so yeah, we, we look at real estate, um, as an asset. So an asset, something that puts money into your pocket. Um, and I look at it as whether you work or not. Right. So, um, if you can take your money and buy something that appreciates in value and, um, you don't have to actually, I mean, there obviously is management involved, but, um, at the end of the day, the tenants basically go to work and they, uh, pay the rent and they're, they're footing the most of the bill for owning this asset and, um, you get all the benefits of it. So, um, yeah, that would be kind of my really random, fast-paced answer to why. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and as as Christians, we're called to be prudent with our money as well, right? Um, and I think that real estate—you uh, know—hopefully we can do a good job of explaining this. But real estate it can be a very prudent investment, as opposed to some—you know—I mentioned Tesla, right? So there's opinions depending on your level of knowledge the stock market can be uh, extremely risky and people have uh, you know people have said that to me as well like oh the real estate market i don't know it's risky um i really think it's not if you approach it with yeah. uh with a bit of common sense and a little bit of knowledge and uh, especially what we're talking about and what we both do day to day residential real estate so yeah decent homes neighborhoods decent tenants decent i would say good home good area <laughs> good tenant okay fine. and uh yeah 
uh, as opposed to other types of real estate where you might be buying land or developing it and then maybe you're investing in commercial properties. Um, that's a little bit more complex and a little bit of a different dynamic. Yeah, so it's it's a bigger risk. There's a bigger return potentially as well, but this is uh, you know you need to you need to be a pro to to do most of those types of investments and have like a good amount of knowledge and experience in real estate. Whereas with residential real estate, I feel like that barrier is a lot lower for regular investors yeah. to kind of get into it. So and everyone needs a place to live, and I guess that's kind of. Um... When you talk about Tesla, you know, not everyone needs to drive a Tesla. Maybe everyone wants to drive a Tesla. I've never driven one. <laughs> I've heard some good things about them. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, those are kind of, um, yeah, uh, luxuries, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but real estate, like everyone needs a roof over their head. Um, and at the end of the day, like there's kind of a floor to the market where, you know, if uh, if there is housing out there and there's people, they're going to live in the housing, right? So, yeah, and we're, especially we're seeing that in southern Ontario where we are. There's just such a shortage of housing and there's no end in sight, you know, despite government policies. Um, <laughs> anytime we do anything to increase housing, we just get more immigrants. Yeah. Right? And like, you know, th- this is a nation of immigrants. That's fine. Uh, but we're not planning for it. And what that results in is just further shortages of uh, of housing. Right? Yeah. So as an asset class, like residential real estate, the stuff that we're looking into, um, uh, you know, you, I was like, <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Let me think for a second. You think about that, but just to give some context, right? Last year we had, I think, close to a million people immigrate to Canada. So roughly half a million, which is already a huge number, I think, for the, for our population, uh, roughly half a million under the regular investor, not investor, sorry, the regular immigrant program. Yeah. Um, so that could be like economic immigrants, refugees, and then just people coming in with skills. Uh, I know they've dropped that, that uh, the required level quite a bit just to get more people in. But then the one that nobody really talks about is the students and students last year, international students I'm talking about were, um, were close to half a million as well, which is just mind boggling. So if yeah, you think so that- my question, my, my thought earlier was, you know, uh, a lot of these metrics that you're kind of talking about are maybe unknown, but they are achievable for the average person to find out, like you can do the research yourself mm-hmm. and do the legwork on. Um, a particular area, let's say. So if you want to invest your money in Hamilton, um, you can go on the Hamilton website and you can figure things out. You can go on StatsCan or you can go on all these different websites and find out what the actual economic growth is. What are the job numbers? What is the population growth? What are the housing projection? Like, you know, and then you can ba- do basic math and figure it out uh, for yourself. So, um, you know, we can, we can tell you some of the numbers and pull them up and, and do that. But Um, at the end of the day, like what separates real estate from some more, maybe more complex investments, I'm thinking like starting your own business, there's huge returns in starting a business Mm -hmm. and it's great. And I think everyone should do it, but you know, there's a lot of risk and there's a lot of unknowns and a lot of things you can't just research. You have to do them and, and go out there and do it. Right. Whereas real estate, like it's somewhat like we, we talk about a business in a box, right? Like it's, you have the customer, they have to rent from you 
because they need a place to live and you own the house and yeah like it's this little package right you can buy it and uh, the fundamentals are there and you can find out about them so um yeah maybe that sets the groundwork for why um why real estate um uh, residential real estate a little bit i don't know if there's anything else you wanted to touch on but yeah, I no, want to like jump you, into some of these reasons. You talked about the business in a box, and that, like that is so true. It's the framework is already there, right? If you want to start your own business, there's a lot of unknowns. Yeah, unless you buy a franchise. Yeah, right. Um, which some people do that and love it and and whatever. But yeah, if you if you don't buy a franchise, <laughs> you gotta start from ground zero. Right? Yeah, I mean we've both done it, right? And uh, it's. Um, you know, if you've done it before, it's a little bit easier starting your second business because, you know, some of the rules and some of the things you need to do with the first time, like there's just, there's so much and you can, you know, get a mentor that would probably be helpful or would have been helpful, I'm sure. But yeah, there's just, there's not really a laid out map. Whereas residential real estate, it's fairly like it's done a lot. And, um, you know, if you, you go to the bank, they know what you're talking about it's uh it's well established right and everybody that you're going to deal with your real estate agent your accountant everybody kind of knows what is involved so it's not um it's not unknown and uh yeah business in a box like you said yeah so maybe let's jump into um why real estate as opposed to other investments and you had come up with seven reasons why real estate investing or uh, investing in real estate has an advantage over these other investments. So let's just talk about them in order from the top. See how far we get <laughs> before we got to cut it off. But leverage was one of them. Yeah. So maybe from your perspective, just explain how does leverage an advantage when it comes to real estate? Like what is leverage to begin with? And yeah. Yeah. So to me, leverage is the biggest reason that residential real estate for the regular investor is um, is just is is the best investment. Um, like so, a pow- it's a powerful tool, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, you, you've you've talked about this where you're using a lever. So we go back to you know grade five or whatever where you learn about um, learn about some of these things, and you know we forget them, but. Simple machines. Yeah, simple machines. Thank you. See, I forgot it already. <laughs> but yeah, a lever, you have like, you know, it could be a, a piece of wood or something, and you need a fulcrum, something in the middle to, uh, to to balance it on. And then let's say there's a big rock. That's what I always think about, where you couldn't pick that rock up on your own and move it. But if you're able to get a lever in there and then put it on the, uh, you know, put on a fulcrum, you can move that rock now. Yeah, it helps you to amplify force. So yeah. the lever is the mechanism that, you know, you, you push down on one side, the other side, like you can move something way heavier than you. And the result that you end up getting is, you know, beyond anything you could achieve on your own. Yeah. And that's kind of the idea behind leverage with real estate as well. Yeah. Yeah. You haven't increased your force. Or in the case of real estate, your amount of money that you're yeah. investing. The capital you've that just you've used saved up. The, Yeah, you've just used the tool to be able to do something much bigger with it than you could have uh, could have normally done. So let's say you've saved up um, $100,000. You could go buy a house worth $100,000. And yeah. you could rent it out. 
and you know get some returns on that and like obviously where we are you're not gonna find a house for a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> you wouldn't uh, want to buy it if you did buy it. i don't know <laughs> unless it was a good deal <laughs> yeah so and hey that's great you've got it paid off you've got some rent coming in um but chances are you could do much better investing that money somewhere else maybe not anywhere else but in a lot of different places so the idea of leverage is, hey, we're going to take that money that you saved up and instead of buying a $100,000 house, I can buy a house worth $500,000 because, uh, you know, we're required to put 20% down in so most that, cases for yeah. an investment property. So that, that what you're describing is me taking a small amount of capital that I've saved up and I'm trying to amplify my force. So I'm going to use a lever mechanism and that mechanism would, in this case, be the mortgage That's right. product that I'm going to go get. So I'm going to take my hundred grand. I'm going to go get a mortgage, um, and now I can go to buy a house with five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So at one end of that stick or that lever is you, with your original amount of force or capital, and at the other end is the bank or the lender, usually you know usually a bank, um, and they're doing the heavy lifting, right? They will pay off that mortgage or they will pay off the the person that's there, so they will pay the them, seller the seller. Thank you. If you want to get all technical, the person that's there. I don't... <laughs> yeah. So you Listen go buy guys, a house. Brent's, and then... Brent's the smart one here. Okay. <laughs> you go buy a house and the seller uh, might have, the, but we're using $500,000. So he has $500,000 purchase or sorry, sale price on the house um, or asking price. And you come along with hundred grand. Well, he's going to look at you funny. Yeah, that's First right. He's like, no, that's far short of what I want. Go but away. If, yeah, but if you team up with the bank, and they come with, you know, four hundred thousand dollars, you put in a hundred. Now all of a sudden, you can buy this thing, right? It's a lot more achievable. Yeah, and that's kind of the basis of like our residential real estate market in Canada, and well, really in North America. This is how we do things, and we don't often really think about it in terms of levers because it's just. Yeah, you get a mortgage, you buy a house, the bank lends you the money, and that's just how it works. But when you kind of take a step back and look at it, like, wait a minute, I'm getting this whole thing for only a fifth of the price. Like, yeah. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, I want to touch on something you said, because like, I think when the word leverage is thrown out there in the context of investing, it becomes this like risky, scary concept, right? But in the context of real estate, like you mentioned, it's kind of standardized, right? Like the whole industry is based on like nobody goes and pays cash for a house. Everybody gets a mortgage. Um, you know, everybody's talking about saving up just enough to put a down payment, right. right? And not the whole house. Like you imagine how many years <laughs> you'd have to wait. So it's kind of become the norm, right? Yeah. And we, like, we, we understand that and we take it for granted. If you have a young couple, um, yeah, they'll, they'll get married, they'll start saving up, or maybe they have saved up depending uh, on what's happened and um, they can now purchase that house. But yeah, you, they're not paying cash for the house. They're paying a small percentage. So that's leverage. Yeah, and leverage is fine for all of us when we're buying like our first house. And not yeah, when we're cool. buying like a car or something other than. Well, I was thinking more of like to buy a second property. Right. All of a sudden, this whole idea of leverage is, is really scary, right? Because what, you know, what happens, uh, this, that, the other thing. Um, and that's where, yeah, that's where you need a little bit of help or a little bit of knowledge to, to figure out, you know, what is the right place to buy and how do we approach this? And we can talk about all of that. But um, 
we're just taking the same concept that we're buying our original house with to buy a secondary property or a third or a fourth or whatever, right? Using that same leverage because the same rules apply. Now with your first home, generally you can put maybe 5% down. Uh, so if you think about it, that's even bigger leverage, right? Right. That's, you know, air quotes riskier than uh, if, you know, as an investor, you have to put 20% down. That's a much bigger, um, much bigger down payment. You got, got more, more skin, skin in, in the, the game. game. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so yeah, you're, um, yeah, you can only do that once and or once. Yeah. Whatever. Yes. That's a first time home buyer um, program yep. that in Canada that's offered. Um, I think there are ways to get multiple 5% down mortgages, but I think you're probably skirting the system a bit. Yeah. Yeah. There's ways to do it, but not, uh, not the way you should be doing. Um, and interestingly in the States, you can sometimes get that down to 3% or maybe less with different programs that they have available, right? If you're a vet, you'll get some assistance. If you're buying a rural property, they want to encourage that. So you'll get some assistance. So you could be like one to 3% down yeah. on, uh, on your first home. So what are the trade-offs when we're using leverage? Like, so leverage is a positive thing when it comes to real estate. Um, something that, um, you can, you can utilize leverage to some degree when you're doing other investments. Like if you're starting a business, you can get a loan and, but yeah, if the business fails, you got to pay that loan still. Right. And same thing with stocks, but with, uh, with real estate, yeah, it's, it's kind of standard industry practice to get a mortgage. Um, you know, the bank takes collateral. So maybe that's one of the reasons, or that's one of the, the, the flip sides to this is that, yeah, you get the house, but ultimately if you don't pay the mortgage, the bank will take the house and sell it and, um, and pay off the mortgage. Right. Yeah. Like getting back to our analogy of moving a big rock, right. I know I can pick up a rock, you know, maybe I can pick up a hundred pound rock and, um, <laughs> I don't want to brag or anything, but, <laughs> <laughs> but let's say I could pick that up safely and I can control it. I can move it around. I can walk with it. I know that I can handle it right now. If it's a 500 pound rock. There's no way, but if we use leverage, I'll get the bank. My big pick, brother to, to come pick up there, pick that, <laughs> right? They'll pick it up and they're holding it and they're controlling it. And they're kind of keeping it safe uh, in a way that I couldn't do. So, you know, people talk about, um, you know, losing their house to the bank, for example. Banks are not 100% not interested in taking over your house and they will do as much as they can to not do that. So people think of like, oh, I missed a mortgage payment. I'm going to lose my house. Like, no, that's not. It's not going to happen. And we haven't seen um, yet anyways, e even in this market, we haven't seen delinquencies and foreclosures and stuff in Canada uh, rise at any kind of alarming rate, um, even though interest rates have gone up and people are having a harder time uh, paying their mortgage uh, if they're on a variable rate anyways, right? So that that's kind of how I look at it, that the bank is providing a lot of security on their end because they have a vested interest and making sure that you pay your mortgage every month. That's yeah. how they make their money is getting that in, getting the interest payments, um, you know, steadily every month, year after year. So they year. put out the $400,000, but you pay them interest on it. Yeah. 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 So you're, you're going to pay more than the house is worth. Um, and you know, we'll, maybe we can talk about that when we talk about income and how to calculate it. And, uh, but you know, suffice it to say, 
sure, on your primary residence, if you're not making any money from it, that can be a little bit irritating when you look at it and you're like, wow, I've paid double the value of the house by the time I've paid off the mortgage. Um, but that's a bit of a trade-off for the leverage that you get. You're able to have a bigger house or a nicer house or just a house at all to live in as opposed to not getting a house. But when you when it comes to buying a secondary property, now you just need to run the numbers and how much interest you're paying doesn't really matter. It's, you know, what what is that asset going to be worth to me later? Um, yeah, as so long as the interest that... Um the bank is demanding can be covered by um, your income from it. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. When I think about leverage too, uh, ultimately affects your bottom line. So um, a couple of things you, you, you mentioned one was control. We'll talk about that. And the other one was return on investment. So if you're making an investment, you calculate a return, right? And that return um, is like, is a ratio. So how much money did I have to, to spend to get what return, right? So with, uh, with the example of maybe you saved up enough money to buy the house in cash, let's say you saved up 50 years and you could have 500 grand and you buy that house in cash. Well, now your return on investment is like a dollar for dollar, right? Like you get $1 return, but I had all my money in this deal. Mm -hmm. So sure better bring me back a return. <laughs> but as you, as you introduce leverage into it, you're using other people's money, right? You're using the bank's money mm -hmm. to be able to, control or own the asset and the return goes way up. So in your example of like putting 20% down, um, you know, you're going to earn one return, but you're going to earn a greater return if you put 5% down. And ultimately yeah. if you put zero down somehow you can earn, uh, you know, an infinite return, so to speak. And, um, yeah, maybe it's difficult to do 0% down <laughs> because, uh, no bank wants to take on all that risk. Of they lending. did, and I think they 2007 <laughs> really? was a really brief period. So this there is... was zero percent down investor mortgages. Yeah, it's before oh, my man. investor career started, yeah, but me too. But still, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so the other thing there was control and um, leverage. Is to me is kind of a, a way to access the asset, so you can own the asset, and you can control it. Um, but you only put a small amount in. So if you have a hundred grand, you can, you can buy and control an asset that is worth 500. So for example, what's the advantage of that? Well, if you bought the house, um, and it's now your house, um, and you've only put in a hundred grand, now you can start improving the property maybe, or renovating it, or maybe, um, you know, you split it into two units or three units, mm -hmm. and maybe you sever off a piece of the land. So now, um, you know, the potential is much greater, the potential different number of options you can do um, and the benefits to you. Um, oh yeah, sorry. So all the benefits come to you as the one who controls the asset and owns it, right? And leverage is that tool that allows you to get there. Um, so yeah, I don't know so if you want to speak to that, but. No, yeah, instead of dollar for dollar where you're buying something cash, now maybe you're getting $5 back for the $1 that you put in. And now all of a sudden you've created cash flow. Yeah. So yeah, you... that's a good transition into the next reason. I don't know if we beat leverage to death, but um, I don't know. I like talking about leverage. <laughs> <laughs> well, th so there's we should talk a little bit about people will say, well, I can get leverage in the stock market. Yeah. Right. And and this is where I like to think of the bank holding that big rock or holding the the mortgage and holding that you know securely because they have a vested interest in you 
not doing badly and not losing the house. Whereas, yeah, you can buy stocks on uh, margin. It's what they call it, but really it's, it's leverage where you can buy a certain amount and the brokerage will lend you the rest of the money to buy those stocks. So you have, um, in that case, like very good upside, right? But you also have the exact same amount of downside. So you don't have that in real estate. You have a decent upside, not like unlimited, not ridiculous, um, but your downside is, is generally fairly limited for, for a few reasons. But if we think of um, going back to, the, to that rock, right? If we're investing in stocks, we're going to move that big 500-pound rock, but it could come rolling back down at me and crush me. So if I buy a lot of stock on margin and it goes up, great, I make a lot of money. If it goes down, well, I owe that same amount of money that I would have made. So my losses are also increased at the same rate that my uh, gains could have uh, could have increased. And, you know, there's ways to mitigate that. And you talk about options and futures and, and all these things. But, like, this is pretty complex. And it's very easy to lose a ton of money. And we've seen, uh, like, I've seen numerous examples of that in the media of younger folks who, you know, made a ton of money on some of the meme stocks and then lost it all and more. Um you know, when they came back down. Mm -hmm. So it can be a dangerous game to play uh, in the stock market unless you really know what you're doing. And um, yeah, so that, that's just one comparison of, of leverage to, um, to residential real estate. Another example of leverage I can think about is starting your own business. And when you hire employees, like you can do a certain amount of work and you can make some money. When you hire employees, now you're kind of using leverage because you're going to pay them X amount. So let's say you're paying $20 an hour for their labor and you're charging $50 an hour to a customer. Well, now you've just leveraged what you're able to do, right? You can get more and more employees and kind of use that lever to increase your, um, your earnings, right? And, but again, small business, there's a significant amount of risk there as well. Um, to, there's so, yeah, there's so many unknowns. We talked about there's not really a roadmap you got to kind of got to figure out the business and do your research and make sure that your product is wanted by the market, et cetera. Going back to residential real estate, it's a business in a box. It's a known entity. Mm -hmm. And um, so, for example, if the value of your house increases, um, now this is all on paper, but let's say you paid $500,000 for the house, you put a hundred down, uh, it goes up to $600,000. Well, now on paper, at least you have made a hundred thousand dollars. And so you're kind of like net zero now, right? You put in a hundred and, but your asset has gone up by a hundred. You don't have that in your pocket, um, but you've, you've made your money back. So now you have an asset that's worth $600,000 and uh, it, that doesn't all come to you, but it's worth that for nothing, mm -hmm. which is like, Oh, kind of mind blowing, right? That's the. So, what's the, the flip side leverage. of that? So if flip it, side, yeah. If that house <laughs> drops in value by a hundred thousand dollars, I still get to keep the house. I still got to pay the mortgage payments based on five hundred thousand dollars, and the, the same as if it had gone up. I'm still making mortgage payments based on that five hundred thousand, and like real. So really, it's four hundred thousand um, because you've put a hundred down, so your mortgage is for four hundred grand. Um, but the bank will not call that loan. So unless like in the stop, stock market, unless you stop paying, well, yeah, you stop paying. I mean, 
there's problems with most things in life when you stop paying. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, for example, when your stocks go down a certain uh, percent, now your brokerage, your bank, whoever is going to call that loan. And it doesn't matter if it's a temporary dip and it's going to go back up. Um, And then, you, you know, after that dip, you're okay. Once it hits that certain level, they call it and you're done. You're cut off. You're, you're, you're out of so it. yeah, unless you have cash sitting sitting beside you that you can just pay that off. Yeah, you have to sell stocks to pay for that, yep. and you'll be selling them at a loss. Um, so yeah, if the house, if the house, back to the example, the house going down in value. Um, yeah, you still get to keep it. Yeah. So I'm thinking maybe you you had the house and it went down in value, um, and it's rented out. Like as long as that rent still covers all of your mortgage payments, you're good. Yep. Um, and then the advantage that just pumped in my mind was like, well, yeah, you could still go in there and renovate it. So if it's only worth, you know, 400,000 now, when you bought it at 500,000, well, what if you could spend a few weekends and bump that value back up a little bit, right? So you are in control. And um, just to further that analogy, right? Like you're in control, you still, um, own the asset and you can improve it and you can try and raise that value back up. Um, and then, um, hopefully when the market rebounds, you know, the results are even bigger <laughs> when you, yeah, the house value shoots up even higher because of all the work you put into it. Yeah, exactly. And when we're talking about investing in real estate generally, and especially like what we do kind of day to day is not a, a very short term mentality. Uh, although I do short term rentals, but different story. <laughs> midterm <laughs> yeah and, well I mean, you know, we do both but um it's not you know we're not looking at being in the market for a year or two years and especially when you're you're dealing with clients and you're buying a nice property and putting money into it and uh, yeah. and renovating we're talking about a long-term kind of thing so fluctuations in the market um really don't matter and like you you mentioned that right if you're still getting cash flow like oh no I have an investment that went down in value, but I'm still making the same amount of money every month off it. Like, oh, poor me, right? (laughs) Um, And we know just based on history that real estate will eventually go up. It may not, like certainly not at the rates that we've seen uh, recently, although there's good reason to believe, which we can talk about later, that there's probably going to be some pretty hefty increases in the value of real estate over the next foreseeable future. Um, you know, like maybe not the next year, but we're talking 20, 30 years. Um, but yeah, in general, real estate has proven residential real estate has proven that it has gone up, um, over the long term. So if you look at the short term, that chart might be very spiky up and down, especially right now, mm-hmm. but over the long term, there's that gradual curve up. So we know that in 30 years, um, at least if it keeps pace with inflation, it should do better than that. But at least if it does that, um, you'll be okay because you've got a whole bunch of other stuff that's happened along the way. You've got cash flow and you've got somebody else paying down that mortgage. Which, yeah. Do you uh, want to talk about the other reasons too? Like income, you keep mentioning cash flow. So it just keeps, <laughs> you know, light bulb in my head. Income is the next reason why yeah. real estate is a good investment. So, what is the income component to this? Yeah. So when we're dealing with clients and, and I'm sure you too, like one of the things we always look at is will this investment cash flow, is it going to give me a positive amount of money 
each month compared to what I have to pay out. And if it doesn't, then probably shouldn't buy it, right? There are, there are reasons people might buy. And usually that reason is just looking for equity growth. And, um, you know, the best example is probably condos. I don't like condos as an investment, but, um, and, and the market tends to fluctuate a little bit more. And generally people, investors are buying condos um, with the hopes of it going up in value. And especially, you know, you can go in pre-construction and get like a good deal compared to where you think it will be when the actual construction is done. And then, but even, you know, when construction's done, people will buy condos and hold them with negative cash flow uh, in the yeah. expectation that they're going to go up in value. But we're which, talking about residential. Um, yeah. I say residential. Condos residential, but homes. More detached, uh, yeah. detached homes. But I just wanted to throw that out there as an example we're talking about cash flow right. and um, we're seeing now people having to sell condos at a loss and like it's happened in the, in the past as well. Right. Cause that market tends to fluctuate more um, and they never had the cash flow. So overall it's a net loss. So terrible investment if you ask me. So when we're looking at more like detached housing that we're into. Um, you well, it was a terrible investment because sure... you bought it. You, you had to pay money every month to own it. And then when you sold it, you sold it for less than what you bought it. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> no. <laughs> so people buy it with with the idea like, okay, I'm going to have to pay a little bit of money every month to own it. But in the end, I'm going to sell it for much more than I bought it for. And but Yeah, the, the problem with that model that. in my head is if you buy it and you had to pay every month to own it, at a certain point, if the value doesn't go where you need to have it to sell it to make a profit, you're just going to be paying an like indefinitely yeah. right yeah and and this is where you know people you'll talk to people like oh yeah i tried real estate it didn't work i didn't like it well you know what did you do and you find out oh yeah they had a condo and this very thing happened to it yeah right? there has been some great success in condo market yeah too, but, yeah but yeah so what we're doing is detached homes so where are we going with this <laughs> so cash flow that's always the um the the first thing that i look for if I'm talking to somebody about an investment and, you know, I imagine that's, uh, that's high on your list as well. Um, that I want to know there's going to be cash flow, especially for someone who's maybe buying their first investment property yeah. and may not have a ton of money. So what is cash around. flow? Because, um, that sounds like a really good word. Yeah. It's where the cash, you know, it flows, right? Yeah. Right. No, you're, you're right. <laughs> I, uh, we throw out these terms, like everybody knows what they are, but, um, not everybody does. So cash flow is basically when you have an asset that produces more cash uh, every month than, or every year uh, than what you put into it. So if my mortgage is $1,500 and then I've got to pay uh, some property tax and uh, maybe some other things, maintenance, adding up to $2,000 a month, then I should have more than $2,000 a month coming in from rent from the tenants, right? And and really I should have a, a fair amount more coming in, right? If I'm making 50 bucks a month, like that's a little bit risky because if I've got a major expense like a furnace or a roof or something that I need to pay 10 grand for, where am I gonna get that from? So we always kind of look at it from the standpoint of like of ourselves. When we didn't have a ton of money, we bought another property, but it had to cash flow so that we could build up a reserve fund 
so that if anything happened, we could pay for it and uh, that it wouldn't be a drain on our daily life because we didn't have the extra money to to pay $500 a month, let's say, for 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 that asset. Yeah, and that's a lot of the time we hear the same thing. Like, I own my own house right now, and that's great. And, you know, my income can pay the mortgage. But how is it possible for me to buy another house? That's mm-hmm. like, well, um, I guess that question comes out of, like, how am I going to be able to afford to pay the mortgage and the property tax and all the other expenses? Because they know, because they're a homeowner, they know what it all takes, right? Yeah. To own a house, it's not cheap. So um, the cash flow and the income side of it is, yeah, we're we're buying a house, but we're not just um, buying any house. It has to be able to produce enough income from um, renting it out to carry or to cover all of the expenses and more. And um, you even put in um, like a reserve fund. Um, so things that are $10,000, whatever you amortize that over the 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, if you have to replace the furnace every 10 years, you divide it into 10 years and you pay that every um, into the accounts so that hopefully, you know, you never have to put a dime into it. And yeah, if, uh, if you need some major renovations, maybe you would, but um, so yeah, that, that, that is where um, people's mindset starts switching where it's like, okay, well, yeah, we're, we're buying a house, but it's almost a self-sustaining self um, sufficient business and um, operation mm-hmm. that can perpetuate itself without my cash going into it. And right now, like with interest rates where they are and everyone's aware <laughs> of this, right? Like the, I, I talk to people all the time and it's like, I, yeah, I'm feeling the pain. It's like, I'm feeling the pain too. So um, I think everybody's in the same boat going like, is this a good thing? But I think we still firmly believe that it is. And for those reasons, like if you can find an asset um, that actually does cash flow, brings in income. Um, and if you can find something that brings in enough income to um, pay you on top of just carrying itself, right? Now, all of a sudden you've improved your financial situation in the here and now, and you have that built up future potential of, you know, you still own this asset, you could sell it down the road and pull out a, a big reward. Yeah. Cause I never want somebody to be in the position where they have this beautiful asset and we know it's going to be worth a ton of money down the road, but they just can't afford to keep it, to keep it on, on a monthly basis. Like they're forced to sell it. Because... Yes. Yeah, because they just can't come up with that whatever it is uh, per month to pay for it, right? That yeah. would really suck. So um, this yeah. is where evaluating the type of home that you're going to buy is so important. And when we talk about a good home in a good neighborhood and then get good tenants, um, because, you know, even with all the benefits of real estate and leverage and things we've talked about, you could still screw it up, right? You could buy <laughs> the wrong place yeah. and that place will never uh, will never work. Yeah. So we try to let other people buy those places. <laughs> well, and so one example that I can think of is, is buying, um, you know, either a lousy house in a nice neighborhood or a lousy house in a lousy neighborhood. That's what people do because it's cheap, right? You're buying well, yeah, a lousy house, house in a nice neighborhood is not a, necessarily a bad thing. If no, you actually prove it. Yeah. yeah. But a luxury home. Yeah. So luxury homes I don't like, or, dirt cheap homes right and um because yeah you may pay five hundred thousand dollars for this home then i'll be like well i only paid three hundred thousand for this one that's great um 
if you're not willing to keep that home up or if it just has fundamental issues that um, are going to cause you problems over time, that's also going to determine what kind of renter you can get in there. Right. So you can, and I've seen this where people are in like a sort of a, a death spiral where they can never have enough cash flow to improve the place because the kind of tenant that they uh, will attract is, is not going to pay very much money. So now your cash flow in the, the place is terrible and it's falling apart because you can't afford to do the maintenance mm -hmm. and maybe it was bad to start with. Um, and then like you never get out of that because then you'll never get a better tenant who's going to pay more money because who would pay more money for a dump, right? Yeah. And then, uh, and this is another reason where people get discouraged with real estate because yeah. they bought something like that and it never made money. And then, yeah, you have problems with tenants, um, just problem after problem. And it's, you know, does nothing to improve uh, your life or your financial situation at all. So picking the right asset is, uh, yeah. Is and uh, <clears throat> like as an investor to, um, uh, so if you if you're looking for a reason to invest, a lot of the times like you're um, you're investing, you're putting money away now so that in the future you can get some benefit. Right. Mm -hmm. But the time when you put it away to the time when you get that benefit could be year could like in some situations. Right. And in some investments, it could be 10 years. Uh, it could be, you know, a lifetime. Like if you start a business, for example, it could be, you know, you pass down to your kids or whatever. Mm -hmm. So um income is a good way to make money along the way. Right. And to actually earn a return on your money, uh, every month or every year. Um, you know, a lot of the times when we're doing deals, we actually just pull the cash flow out, um, on a yearly basis if there is right. So, um, you buy the asset, but now, yeah, you get money every month. Right. So maybe it's a small amount, but at least, um, your money, you have something to show in cash for your investment. Um, whereas like buying stocks, I guess, <clears throat> you would compare that to dividends, right? Like if you yeah. buy the stock, unless you sell the stock, you don't get a return. Mm -hmm. But if you buy a dividend paying stock, well, now you earn a percentage, whatever that dividend is on your money, right? So that's yeah. kind of a, a similarity between that and real estate, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, is there anything else we want to touch about leverage income or we're going to jump into the next reasons <laughs> next time? We're at 40 minutes here, so... Yeah, I think we can wrap it up there. We've covered a lot of that. Um, thing or watching and you have questions, reach out to us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Two Stewards Show. If you like my voice better, click subscribe. And if you like my voice better, click share. If you like both, give us a five-star rating. To interact with the show, feel free to reach out at hello at twostewards.ca. We'll see you in the next episode. In the meantime, steward your wealth wisely. Thank you.